This morning, I thought we would take a one-week break from Nehemiah and look at the beauty of the Incarnation, which we celebrate this Christmas season. I'm just going to look at one verse this morning. It is perhaps the most profound prophecy, the most profoundly fulfilled prophecy in the history of Scripture. It is maybe more mind-boggling than creation from nothing. We're going to talk about the meaning of Emmanuel this morning. What does it mean for God to be Emmanuel, as it says here in Matthew 1.23? What does it mean for God to be with us? Why was Jesus born of the Virgin, and what difference does it make? If you'll look here in Matthew 1.23, it says, See, the Virgin will become pregnant. And I have issue with that translation. <laughs> I have issue because in Isaiah 7, 14, I want to give you a little background on this prophecy. This is a direct quote from Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. And when this prophecy was made, Israel was in a bad time. Ahaz was king of Judah. And Israel and the king of Aram had come against Judah to take them over. And the Bible reports there in Isaiah that when they found out that Aram had taken over Ephraim, which was part of Judah, that their hearts and the hearts of the people shook like leaves on the tree. They were terrified because they thought that these kings were going to come and subdue them as well and put another king in the place of Ahaz. But Isaiah came to King Ahaz and said, Don't be a coward. That's what he said. Don't be a coward. The Lord will take care of this smoldering wick there in Ephraim, King Aram. And then he told King Ahaz, ask the Lord for a sign. Be it as high as the heavens or as deep as the grave, ask any sign you would of the Lord. And Ahaz foolishly said, I will not ask a sign from the Lord. I will not tempt the Lord my God. And Isaiah said, is it not enough for you to trouble men, but now you will trouble the Lord as well? The Lord himself will give you a sign. And then he says in Hebrew, Behold the virgin pregnant. He doesn't say that the virgin will conceive. He says, Behold the virgin is currently pregnant. What kind of sign is it that a young woman gets pregnant? It happens every day. But virgins being pregnant does not happen every day. In fact, it has only happened once. The sign that God would give to Ahaz himself is, is something that has never happened before in the history of the world and would never happen again, that the virgin would be pregnant. And Isaiah goes on to tell him that when this happens, the people will be in a time of captivity, that they will be in a time of terrible distress. That is exactly the time that the Lord Jesus was born in. He tells Ahaz that the virgin will be pregnant. And then he tells him that this son will be called Emmanuel, which simply means God with us. That would be his name. And little did Ahaz himself know exactly what it was that the Lord was promising through Isaiah. Little could anyone imagine the immensity of the promise that was being given. Perhaps when they heard it at first, it just simply means that this child would be a one that demonstrated the Lord's presence with his people. They did not understand that at the time, God was not simply going to be with his people. He was going to be one of his people. He was going to come and live with them as a Jew, as an Israelite, as the son of David. Ahaz, after all, would be the ancestor of the Lord Jesus himself. 
He's saying, from you will come the God with us, the Emmanuel. And he will come for your deliverance. Why did Mary have to be a virgin? What was, it was part of the sign of the fulfillment so that people would know that this was no normal situation. No. God gives a miracle, a sign like no other. And the reason that Jesus is born of the Virgin Mary is because he had another forefather and his name was Adam. He was made from the dirt. Adam was made from the dust of the earth. And as you know, while he was in the garden, he sinned against the Lord his God. And in that fall, everyone fell with him. But the one born from the virgin would be the second Adam, made not from the dust of the earth, but in Mary's womb. This second Adam would be the one who would undo the works of the first Adam. He would be the new head of those who believe. He would be the new head of the human race, the Lord Jesus Christ himself, who when tempted would not fail, but would undo the works of darkness. The first Adam fell into sin, and the second would pay the price for all the sons and daughters of Adam who came afterwards. This is what it means when it says the virgin is pregnant. She is bearing the Messiah. Messiah means the anointed one. That's what Christ means. Anointed one is the Greek version of Messiah. She was carrying the Messiah in her womb who would be the second Adam to save us from our sins. He would be called Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. What does it mean that God is with us? In John chapter 1, verse 14, the word of God teaches us this. The word who was in the beginning with God and was God, became flesh and dwelt among us. We observe his glory, the glory as the only begotten Son of the Father, full of grace and truth. The teaching that God has become man is one of the truths that separates Christianity from all other religions. There is nothing like the incarnation that you will find anywhere else in the world. Nowhere will you find the almighty God, the singular God of the universe, becoming truly and fully human. The Emmanuel did not simply put on human flesh as we might put on a garment, but he became one with us. He assumed humanity. At that moment and forever, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, would be one with his people. Even now, at the right hand of God, making intercession for us, Jesus Christ is fully and completely human. He is our brother forever. No one else teaches this. He is still today 100% human. He is still today the son of David. He is still today a man of Israel, a Jew. He will never cease being that. Never, not in the 10,000 years. And why did he come as a human being? Why did the son of God become incarnated in flesh and become Jesus Christ. He was the eternal Son of God. Why was he incarnated? Why did Ahaz need this sign? Why did his people need this virgin-born boy? It was a rescue mission. It was a special operations mission. The Son of God would infiltrate this evil world as a human being, not pretending to be human or looking human, but being human. He came into this world 
as a man. And the reason that he came into this world as a man is because he was coming to do battle with sin, with death, with Satan, with demons, and with mankind. And in these battles, he would emerge undefeated. Jesus Christ, the God-man, would spurn every sinful opportunity presented to him, and he was tempted like no man has ever been. And the reason he was tempted like no man has ever been is because he always said no. And the longer you go in resisting of temptation, quite often the worse it becomes. Jesus Christ spurned every opportunity for sin. He crushed the head of Satan by refusing to bow down to him. In fact, Satan, the accuser himself, took him to see all the worlds and all the kingdoms and said, if you will just bow down to me, I will give you all of these. Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. You shall worship and love the Lord your God only. Satan was crushed. He was the one. Jesus was the one that was prophesied. So in Genesis chapter 3, 15, he would crush the hand of Satan. And we know that Satan would also crush his heel. He came to do battle with sin to crush the head of Satan. He sent the demons packing. They could not stand before him. A thousand demons were in one man. Their name was Legion. And at a word, they were cast out. They could not abide his presence and feared that he had come to torment them before their time, for they knew that as the Son of God had become flesh, their time was short. And not only would he spurn sin, not only would he overcome men who would crucify him, not only would he overcome Satan and all the demons, he defeated death itself as a human being. As he hung there on the cross, he was doing battle with sin with Satan, and with death. Death would claim him, but only for a moment. For as he was examined, it was found that there was no cause for death to hold him, for he was perfect. See, the wages of sin is death. This is why we die. But Jesus Christ himself had no sin, and so death had no claim. And because he was the second Adam and the perfect one, all who joined to him live as he lived. All who join to him are covered by his perfection. And so death has no claim, not only on Jesus, our brother, but also on all his children. All his brothers and sisters are immune from death because he has died for us. He has taken our sins. Death could not hold him. And through his might, Jesus Christ brings death to death. The Son of God was incarnated to save us. And the Son of God did this as a man. He cried as all babies cry. He needed his diaper changing. He held Mary and Joseph's finger as he learned to walk. He helped his dad and mom at home. He learned to talk and smile and laugh and cry. No other God did this. No other king did this. Kings like to sit on their royal thrones and tell peasants what to do. But Jesus stepped from his throne to become a peasant to serve his people, not to lord over them. For as the word of God says, he did not count equality with God a thing to be clung to, but emptied himself. He took the form of a servant. So when it says the form of a servant, it doesn't mean he was pretending. He came to serve. He came to seek and save that which was lost. 
Those who were not seeking him. For while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Not while we were seeking him. We, were, we are not saved. None of us here are saved because we were seeking God. None of us were. No, not one. We had all turned aside. We had all gone astray. There was none of us good, not a single one. We are not saved because we sought God. We are saved because God sought us. We continue to be saved because he is still seeking us. We do not turn to him. He turns toward us. This is what we celebrate at Christmas. The God who served. The people he created. Even at his crucifixion he says, Lord forgive them. Father forgive them for they know not what they do. What king does this as he's being usurped in appearance by his own subjects? What king abdicates and dies for his people? Abdicates his rights as king, as God. We learn from the Old Testament that when Nadab and Abihu came into the presence of God in the holy place and dared offer strange fire, the Lord's fire came and consumed them. And he said, those who come before me will treat me as holy, for I am the Lord. Jesus, incarnate flesh, incarnated in flesh, not only allowed men to offer strange fires by abusing him, refusing him, crucifying him. He loved them to the end. That's what John says. Having loved his own to the end, he still loved them. It was not unjust of God to demand that his people treat him as holy. It was merciful of God to turn the other cheek. When Jesus was betrayed and was being crucified, they blindfolded him and beat him and said, Tell us if you are the Messiah, whose crush you? He knew. And yet, like a lamb before the shearers is silent, Jesus did not utter a word. With a word, he said, I could call from my father's throne, a legion of angels. But he came to save us. He knew what we were like before he came. He is the virgin-born king, the Emmanuel, the God with us. And he's not the God who was with us. He is the God who is with us. He is still with us. The word of the Lord says in Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 through 16, Therefore, since we have so great a high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us therefore hold fast to our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in every way as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let us approach the throne of grace with boldness so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us time of need. Uh, Jesus Christ is our high priest because he is sympathetic. He is a great high priest because he's sympathetic to us because he lived as one of us. He is still one of us. It is not enough to confess that Jesus was a man. We must confess that he still is. Even now, he is in a resurrected human body and always will be. Jesus was and is not more human than us. We need to understand that. See, sin 
is not a necessary part of the human condition. There was a time and there will be a time again when we are sin free. It is not necessary to sin to be human. When we sin, we are less than human. We are less than we were meant to be. I don't mean that we're not human beings. I mean that we are less than we could be. When I say we are less than human, I mean someone who is lazy at their sport is less of an athlete than they should be. What we see in Jesus is what we should be. We should be a people who always obey and love the Lord our God. We should be a people who always love our neighbor as ourselves. We should be a people who honors others as above ourselves. This is the standard. When we sin, we lessen what we're called to be. Jesus is not more human than us. He is human as we ought to be. One day, we will be like him. Jesus was tempted. He was tempted to despair. He was tempted to quit. He was tempted by the pain of life and the tragedy of death. He grew up poor. We know that Jesus was poor because Mary and Joseph offered the poor man's sacrifice to redeem him when he was circumcised in the temple. They did not offer a lamb. They offered turtle doves. And that was an admission given in the scripture. If a poor person comes to redeem their child and they cannot afford a lamb, let them offer turtle doves in its place. He grew up poor. He grew up in a poor city. He grew up in Nazareth. He got tired. He was betrayed by friends, by those who loves, loved him, by those he loved. He knows all of these betrayals, all of these problems more keenly even than we do. After all, as I was thinking about Jesus' betrayal by Pontius Pilate, I'm not, excuse me, his betrayal by Judas, I thought that must have been the worst betrayal ever. And then I thought, you know what? There was a time when Satan was Jesus' friend. When he was the son of God and before Lucifer the light bringer fell, he was an angel of the Lord. The son of God has known betrayal for a long time. And he has watched those angels which he made that betrayed him for thousands of years by trying to lead his precious people away from the truth beauty of God. Every day, our Lord is betrayed by angels and by men and by women. Every day. He knows the pain of suffering. He knows the tragedy of death. Why do you think he wept at Lazarus' tomb, knowing that he went there to resurrect him? He saw the pain. He saw this is not how it should be, and it's not how it will be. This is what he came to change. This is why he was born of the Virgin Mary. So when we come to our Lord Jesus with our problems, not only our problems that are outside of our control when we are betrayed by friends, by circumstance, by problems and by death he has felt and known all these things and when we come to him and say that we have failed that we have sinned and not done as we ought 
He understands why we've done it. It doesn't mean that He excuses our sins. He is sympathetic to our trials and our weakness because He's been in your shoes and in mine. He has dwelt among us. The Word became flesh, dwelt among us, and we have beheld His glory as of the only begotten Son of the Father. In all of history, there is no one like Jesus, and there never will be again. He is the King of kings, and He is the Lord of lords. He is the greater Adam, and He is the greater David. He is the true King of Israel, and the one to whom all nations owe their obedience. And we give him this obedience not only because he demands it, but because we love him. Because he is a good and kind and merciful and just king. And there is no one and no government better than he. He is the Lord of glory. At Lazarus' tomb, he said, Lazarus, come forth was a precursor to one day when the sky will split. And once again with the shout of the archangel, all those in Christ will be raised. And the word of God teaches us that Jesus himself looks forward to this day. Every day he thinks of it. At the Lord's Supper there is a reason he said, I will not drink again from this cup until all of you are with me in heaven. He's waiting for us for the moment of his triumphant return. And when we are all there gathered together in heaven, there will be a search made to see who is worthy to take the scroll from him who sits on the throne, the Father. And we will find in that day that of all the billions of people who have ever lived, there is not one found worthy except for the Lion of the tribe of Judah, the Lamb of God who overcame the world. He will take the scroll and he will rule the nations and we will be kings and queens with him, sitting on his throne with him because he loves us. Why did Jesus come to earth? His mission was to save his people and to honor his father. And he accomplished that mission. Jesus was a human being. He had a mother and a father. Joseph and Mary. And as I say every year, I want to say it again. Joseph was Jesus' real dad. He wasn't his biological father, but he was his real dad. Maybe in heaven he still calls him Pops, I don't know. Jesus came because he loves us. Jesus is with us still. Because he loves us. And even now, he has prepared a place for us. That where he is, there we may be also. Do not worry. Do not be afraid. For if I go away, I will prepare a place for you. That where I am, there you may be also. For in my Father's house, there are many rooms. We're all going to live in the same house. The Lord wants to be with us. He was not compelled by an outside force to make him do this. He did not have to come. He came because he wanted to. He came because he loves us. 
And he fills our hearts with joy and with the Spirit because he still loves us. And so today, as the author of Hebrews teaches us, and right here the God with us, where it talks, we can go to him with anything. He's seen it all. He sees it all every day. He invites us to come, son. Come, daughter. Let's talk. Anything you confess or any trial you have, he says, I understand. I understand. You are beloved. This is the beauty of Christmas. This is why we celebrate this season so that we will not forget who came and why he came. It is impossible to fully understand how the eternal omnipotent, omnipresent God was a babbling toddler. (laughs) Just as it is impossible to understand how the triune God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and yet one. And the only reason it is impossible to understand is because one, our limited minds can understand it. And I don't say that lightly. We can't understand anything. But two, the reason we can't understand it is because there's nothing else like it. You've never seen a trinity before. You've never seen an incarnate God before. Yet in Christ we see these things. And we will spend all of our eternity in mind-blowing bewilderment that Jesus doesn't kind of like us or tolerate us, but that his absolute perfection and omnipotent love is set upon you. You will never be unwelcome in his presence. You will never be a bother. You will never be turned away. You will never be shamed. He is a good king. He is kind. He is just. This is what we celebrate at Christmas. He was as innocent on the day he died as he was on the day he was born. Let's pray. Father, we pray this morning that you will be with us and that you will help us. The love, Father, which has flowed to us from you through your Son and through your Spirit, we pray that it will flow into our hearts and overflow to those around us that we may learn to love others as you have loved us. This Christmas, I pray that as we give gifts and we receive them in honor of your Son, that we will honor those we love with gifts and with our presence, not only our presence. Lord, I pray that if there is someone here who does not know the Emmanuel, who does not know that Christ is with them, and that even now calls on them, child, come, come to me. If you are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Lord, I pray that someone this morning might find their rest in Christ. Father, give them the gift of your Son. In Jesus' name we pray.